Yeah. Okay. It seems to be working now. Okay. Talk a little bit. Yeah, I'm talking. Talking. Yeah. Talking. Okay. Okay. We're in business now. Good. Okay. Just needed a restart. All right. Clever. Super stoked. <laughs> I I had two si- sips of coffee and I'm like so ready for this. Okay. Good. <laughs> I'm Amy Devers. And I'm Jamie Derringer. And this is Clever. Clever is a podcast in which we have conversations with the super smart people who are shaping the world around us through design. Well, actually, normally we have a conversation with a super smart person, but not today. (laughs) Today, we're just having a conversation with each other. Yeah. And for better or worse, you'll get to learn a little bit more about us, Jamie and Amy, your hosts. And you'll get a peek into Clever's origin story, and more specifically, how we came up with the name Clever. Today's episode is something that Jamie and I have been calling the first pancake. Because you know when you go to make a batch of pancakes, the first one is usually kind of rough? It takes like one or two pancakes before you have everything dialed in. You know, you've got to have the right pan temperature, you've got to get your ladling technique on point, you've got to calibrate the volume of pancake batter for yielding the optimal diameter of pancake. very technical, Amy. Hey, I'm a builder. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're making those pancakes for yourself, you'll eat the ugly one first right away while it's hot because you don't give a fuck. But if you're making those pancakes for company, you're going to bury that ugly one deep in the pile so that you can make a good first impression with the prettier pancakes. Yeah, so when we were deep in this learning curve, figuring out this whole podcast production business and dealing with technical issues, we certainly didn't want to subject our guests or you, our listeners, to awkward interviews, dorky nervous laughter, and technical annoyances until we got things a little more ironed out. But we needed a test episode to mock up, so we decided to interview each other. In fact, we thought about killing this episode altogether, but... We also thought there might be a chance that you guys want to learn a little bit about us and where we're coming from. I mean, who the F are Jamie and Amy? Who do they think they are and what do they know about design? Well, and as far as process goes, I've always found it fascinating to see the evolution of something from idea to mock-up to finished product. And while only three episodes in, we are definitely still evolving and hopefully getting better and better, we thought it was in the spirit of what we're doing here to give a window into the humanity behind design to share this with you. This feels very vulnerable for us, so we hope you'll be kind. But here you go. Let's talk to Jamie Derringer first. Yeah. So as uh, Jamie introduced herself at the front of the episode, that's Jamie Derringer. Yeah. But do you really know Jamie Derringer? Do you want to really know Jamie Derringer? You may or may not know that she is the grand mistress at the helm of a media empire. There is a very popular design blog on the Internet called Design Milk. If you haven't subscribed or if you're not a regular reader, just do it. Um, and that is that is maybe the tentpole of her media empire. But she also runs um, an e-commerce site called Adorn Milk, mm-hmm. for, which is jewelry for architecture and design lovers. Mm-hmm. Right, Jamie? Yep. That's it. And then also dog milk, <laughs> which <laughs> pet lovers unite. Dogs are awesome. Yeah. Well, it's for design loving dog owners. Well, dogs are God's most benevolent beast. I am convinced. So cheers to you for making them better looking. <laughs> they need they need a accoutrement just like everyone else. It's true. It's true. But she's also, she's a very dimensional person. She's also an artist. She lives in San Diego with her husband and her four-year-old cutie, Amelia. And uh, she's currently taking lessons and learning how to, in her words, make sick, sick beats, which stay tuned for that. And I know from personal experience, she's a big fan of the nacho. Yeah. Nachos grande. (laughs) (laughs) So my first question for you, 
Miss Media Empire is um, how did you get started down this path? Like, what's the origin story for, I guess it started with Design Milk, yeah? Yeah, it did. And it was back in 2006. And my prior life was as a project manager. And I worked in like medical, pharmaceutical, marketing, advertising, and publishing um, in, in both print and online. And um, I was at a job that I had a lot of downtime, but you know, we were still just there and getting paid. So I started a blog and it really wasn't a, I didn't really start it for anybody else. I, I was kind of using it to just share and find and, and bookmark things I was finding on the internet that I really liked. And it was around that time that I discovered other blogs too, like Design Sponge. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, I should write about my favorite stuff. And and so I did. And um, because there wasn't a whole lot of noise back then, and, and now there, there's a lot of noise. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess I was able to catch the attention of, of, of readers and of other people, um, who would, who subscribed to my blog and were commenting and sharing and it kind of just grew in a, in a very organic way. So I, I think I was in the right place at the right time. I mean, I worked my butt off, but I still feel like there was a little bit of like magic. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and did you stick with your day job until Design Milk got so big that it required you full time? Yes, um, I was at my day job until I think 2009. So it, it was a couple of years before I quit. And okay. I, I took the leap and I haven't looked back. Was that the best decision you ever made? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> what is the toughest thing about running your your empire? Um, that's a good question. Cause there's a lot. I mean, I would say like learning curve was, was number one, especially in the beginning. Cause there was like, we used to hand code our HTML and there wasn't even like that much CSS back then. And I had to learn how to do all of that stuff. And, and I had to learn how to design my own blog. Cause I, I couldn't hire anybody to help me at that point. Um, so there was a lot, there was a pretty big learning curve. I mean, I would say now, like the hardest part is just managing all of it with a small team. I mean, our team is still very, very tiny and there's a lot to do um, between the three websites. There's just always stuff going on. Okay. So where did you grow up? Tell me your backstory. I'm from New Jersey. When did you learn to ride a bike? (laughs) I'm from New Jersey and I am from a pre snooky time. Um, I lived down South though, uh, near Philly. So everybody assumes when I say I'm from New Jersey, they're like, oh, New York, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like there's a whole southern half of New Jersey that exists that's nowhere near New York City. Um, Is it like the Bruce Springsteen? No, that's of New Jersey? N- more north. Oh, yeah. I'm south. So we're like Rocky people. We're like Eagles people. We're like Philly people. So oh. it, it it was in this weird. We lived right outside of Philadelphia. So I went to school um at temple so can you say south jersey in a south jersey accent south jersey that's it there's no like there's no accent i don't think you don't you don't you're not like from south no i'm not from philly i'm not from south philly okay there is a jersey accent but it's different where depending on where you're from i don't know my everybody tells me i don't really have one which is fine i'm okay with that (laughs) yeah you know i don't every once in a while i'll come out with like a coffee and people are like, what? <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't happen that much anymore. I'm in Southern California now, in case anybody cares. <laughs> Where it's awesome, by the way, San Diego. It's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. I like San Diego. Um, okay, so you grew up in South Jersey uh-huh. in like, what, a, a nuclear family or yeah, what? Totally. Like, there's nothing unique or exciting about how I grew up at all. It's pretty much like normal. Super stable middle class. Yeah. I have a brother. My parents are still together. They live in a suburban neighborhood. It's lovely. Um, Yeah. There's really like nothing weird or bizarre, exciting about like we didn't travel around. We didn't do anything. I mean, I think our biggest and most exciting vacation was we went to Williamsburg, Virginia. But instead Uh of doing the historic stuff, we went to the water park like every day. Like instead of like going to Williams, like we literally drove from a state that has like three great adventures to another place, which I forget what it's called. Williamsburg, Virginia has like a water park. And then there's like a, oh, it's Bush Gardens. They have like Bush Gardens, which is like a great adventure. So we literally drove mm-hmm. like eight hours to go to an amusement park that has a water park when we like we have six of them in New Jersey already. 
So that was like, <laughs> like my parents, are, <laughs> we didn't do anything super exciting because we had a shore house. So we did, we just went down the shore a lot. Well, that sounds actually like a pretty, <laughs> a pretty mellow, like childhood. Doesn't sound like marked by drama. No, or drama. no, not at all. I mean, I, how did, how did you figure out you had this penchant for modern design? Well, that's interesting because I have a good segue for that. Because we had the shore house, we needed to get furniture. So I spent a lot of time in furniture stores on the weekends going around trying to find my parents were trying to find the best deal because, you know, now they had two houses and how are they going to furnish it? And so we went to all these different stores all over the place looking for for furniture. So I think I spent like two years like in Ikea every weekend. At least I feel like that. That's what happened. So I think that's where I became cognizant of of the idea of furniture and, and modern design because my mom has kind of a modern aesthetic too so that that didn't hurt nice but you didn't feel comfortable pursuing that as a field of study i didn't or know that ex- well, i didn't know that exists right yeah. so right. I, what do you do with that yeah I have this thing i like this thing i like how this looks yeah i don't know what to do with it yeah, yeah. i was always interested in communications and, and i wrote a lot of poetry and stories and stuff like that i wanted to be a writer so i went into english and communications and were you a pensive book nerd i'm not a book nerd. well i really like russian literature but that's like a whole side conversation but i i I do like literature i like reading i like stories i really love poetry i always have um, but you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I just went into English and communications to see where that would take me. And it, it's funny cause, um, in a college, I worked at furniture stores while I was in college. So like my oh. side thing was always furniture, like no matter what, so weird. Okay. And so have you always had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit or a, or a, a lone wolf yeah. kind of Yeah. I've always, energy? I, I was... An, an only child for eight years. And then my brother was born. He has some, he had some uh, physical impairments. So I spent a lot of time alone, even though I had a brother. Um, and I went to a very small grade school where there weren't a lot of people. So I did, I spent a lot of time alone. And I think, you know, when you're put in a, a large office environment and you're used to being a loner, it's, it's like you, you want to do your own thing. And I had a lot of determination and I had a lot of spirit, but it, it always kind of manifested itself as I hate my boss. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to work for this asshole anymore. And that was always what happened to me. And eventually I realized that I just need to be my own boss. And that was that's yeah. So I guess I always had it in me. OK, so I know you travel for work. But on a day-to-day level, what do you do to avoid feeling isolated? Because you work out of your home, right? And Mm -hmm. your team is remote. Mm -hmm. So how do you get out from behind the computer? Well, they do a lot of the traveling now. I only go to a couple shows a year. Um, And the reason that happened is because I I had a baby four years ago and I just ended up sending other people. And then that's just what has been happening. And then I moved across the country. And then it was like, so other people have just been going to a lot of the events um, on my on on Design Milk's behalf. But um, I am starting to to do a little bit more traveling, but I don't really get out that much. I work from home. I live at home. I drop my kid off like a mile down the street in the morning to go to daycare. Um, and then I pretty much just spend my days trapped inside a fortress. <laughs> I, I don't no. leave. I try to leave like once a day I, and do like some sort of workout. So I'll like go to the gym or I'll go out running. Um, there, it, the weather here is so great and we have really awesome canyons and trails and we have a nice neighborhood. And so it's nice to get out of the house during the day, but, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen. And by Friday or Saturday, I'm like, we need to leave for like, you know, an extended period of time. I just need to get out of the house. And my husband doesn't understand because he leaves the house every day to go to work. And so he doesn't get that. Like I, I get like, I feel like I'm, I'm stuck here. Cabin fever. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I work better like with routine. So like if I if I constantly leave and come back and travel a lot, I get thrown off. So I actually it's kind of like this catch 22 where I work really well if I'm in this routine. But this routine makes me stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. so 
since I've started working with you, I have been struck by um, a caveat you always make. You you always remember to say that you're not a designer. And I know that you haven't been trained as a designer and you don't put yourself out there as a designer. And I think that comes from you having a lot of respect for people who are legitimate designers. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are an artist. Mm-hmm. You're very much an artist. So I want you to tell me about your art, why you're compelled to create, what you're saying with your art, and why you feel it's important to make the distinction between mm-hmm. uh, being an artist or being a designer. You know, design is hard for me because I'm used to seeing designers make products. So, you know, furniture or or whatever, they're they're designing a a product or even like graphic design. Uh, I haven't been trained in any of that. So, you know, if you ask me to design you a logo, it's going to look ridiculous. I mean, I designed the Design Milk logo and it's ridiculous. It's just like a, a, a milk carton that doesn't even make sense in space. And so like, clearly this is not my forte, but I have absolute respect for, for what they do. Um, I, I have an eye for things and I think that's been really helpful with, with design milk, um, and with recognizing good design and and new trends and, and seeing things as they're happening. Um, and that's been helpful, but you know, the artist thing is weird because I, I was, I never thought of myself as an artist and Growing up, I was always interested in art and I was always making things and, and drawing and writing terrible poetry and doing creative things. I, I used to knit and crochet and embroider and, you know, I had a spirograph and I had clay and I just had all kinds of stuff. I, I never wanted to go to the toy store. I always wanted to go to the art store, but I never pursued it professionally. And I, I don't really know why. I think a, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I never considered that I could be successful in that kind of like making things. I always thought I need to go to school for something more practical, Mm -hmm. Um, which is hilarious because I graduated with a degree in Asian studies. That is, (laughs) it's like, like worse than an English degree. Like I should absolutely be serving you a Starbucks right now. (laughs) And I am so lucky that that's not what I'm doing. (laughs) No, but you could at your house. You have Starbucks cake. Yeah, I do. And I could serve you a kick ass latte with my Nespresso machine too. Okay. Okay, we got one more question before your speed round. All right. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Whenever I'm in a room with web professionals, I hear a lot of shop talk about Wix Studio. Wix Studio is beloved by both designers and developers because it gives them the quality and flexibility to do exceptional work efficiently. So they can do what they do best without the grind and deliver projects on time. Designers love Wix Studio because it combines pure web design with maximum productivity. With intuitive layout tools, designers can create unique layouts with an intuitive grid that allows them to add emphasis and standout style. And they can save entire custom site templates, text themes, color palettes, and components to use them time and again. And developers love Wix Studio because it gives them the flexibility and speed they need to take a wide range of projects end-to-end with code-level control over the front-end and back-end. Devs can either use Wix-made or third-party APIs. Plus, they can work online in a VS code-based IDE or code locally and push changes via GitHub. I may not be an expert in website creation, but I do know a lot about how to design and build, and there is nothing more exciting to the creative process than a well-stocked toolkit that helps me do my best work. To learn more, go to Wix Studio or simply click on the Clever Resources link in the description. Why are you doing this podcast? Oh, I like to talk and I like to well, I like talking to you, but I like talking to designers and I like talking to people. Um, I don't get to do that very much because I sit in front of my fucking computer all day and I email people and I'm tired of it. And I'm like old school. And I, I actually like sometimes call people on the phone and freak them out. Cause they're like, what the hell is this thing ringing? Like, I didn't even know it did that. Like I, I love talking to people and I, I like talking. So I think this would be kind of a fun, uh, you know, next adventure for design milk. And there's a huge learning curve here. And I haven't been challenged like this in a long time. Um, cause there's a lot of technical research that you and I have been 
learning and figuring out and it's like a new frontier and I think it's exciting and 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 yeah I, I want to go on this adventure and I want to go on it with you Amy Devers well that was part <laughs> B of this two-part question is why do you want to do this with me well you're easy to talk to and we both have the same mindset when it comes to design and we both are inspired by the same things and I think we we come at things differently but I I also ultimately think we are coming from and to the same place if that makes sense so I don't know all right Miss Jamie Derringer I am about ready to spew some questions at you super fast you ready I've had my afternoon coffee and so I believe I am prepared okay speed round commences now are you more like a cat like aloof and wandering off or a dog? Like- yeah, I'm more like a cat, but I like dogs better. Like I'm a dog, a dog person. Okay, but you're a person cat. Yeah, totally. I'm okay. like, back, back off. I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> what would you consider your most useful skill or talent? Being organized. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad you said that. Yeah. Okay. When you're alone in your car, no one can hear you. Do you like to sing at the top of your lungs? Absolutely. Do you suffer from perfectionism? I do. I actually wrote an article about this and how art is helping me with my perfectionist problem because I believe perfectionists have a disorder of sorts. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a negative thing. Um, Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as perfection. So you're holding yourself against a standard that doesn't exist, um, which doesn't make sense. So in order to break down my perfectionism, I've been using art as therapy. And I I wrote a little bit about this in an article. Link in the show notes. Yes. Growing up in your bedroom, what posters did you have on your wall? New kids on the block, hands down. No way. Totally. I was such a new kids junkie. I loved them so much. Wait, what were their hits? I'm trying to remember. New hits? Yeah. Like, um, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, the that? right stuff. Please Don't Go Girl, which was like a remake. Hanging tough, dude. NKOTB. Yeah, but I liked them before they were NKOTB when they were actually New Kids on the Block. You're still trying to like pull some cred out of that. Totally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had a bu- like one of those giant buttons on my jean jacket and everything. I went to okay. see them. It was just like, it was a great time. what's your okay i'm so glad i learned that about you it changes everything (laughs) well i mean it was like in seventh or sixth grade i mean it wasn't like when i was 14 when i was when i was in high school on my wall there was a nirvana poster with the baby naked baby and then a a cure poster so i mean i got cool after (laughs) nkotp but growing up it was nkotb for sure Gotcha. Um, what's your favorite tool? And by tool, you mean? By tool, I mean anything. Like it could be an app. It could be a wearable. It could be a paintbrush you use in art. It could be a spatula you use in the kitchen. It could be a communications tool like listening. Okay. So digitally, Instagram is my favorite thing in the world. And man, like analog wise, markers are like my favorite. I love markers. Who's your favorite artist? Frank Stella. What did you want to be when you grew up? A writer of poetry and short stories who also moonlighted as an archaeologist. That is very specific. <laughs> oh, and I wanted to be like a backup dancer. You know, like fly, <gasps> like like I wanted to be one of the fly girls from oh my God, In I Living still Color. I want to be a backup dancer. I yeah, like I was so one. into that. I wanted to do that. I totally... Support that dream. Yeah. There's still time left. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Considering <laughs> I'm a terrible dancer. <laughs> but you're taking all those dance lessons with your husband. Yeah, it's really, it's it's not good. It's not looking good for either one of us. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for asking me awesome questions. All right, so now it's time to learn a little more about my lovely co-host, Amy Devers, 
who I think is a modern renaissance woman. I mean, this woman does everything. I don't know anybody else who does as much uh, as she does. (laughs) I like this. Tell me more. (laughs) So Amy is a designer, a maker, an Emmy-winning TV personality. Um, She has lots of fancy design schooling, like a master's in furniture design from Rhode Island School of Design, among other amazing degrees. And for the whole lowdown on Amy, you can go to amydevers.com. And did you know that she hosted a bunch of TV shows from Home Improvement to Makeover to high-end international design shows? I mean, she's been in your TV for many, many years now. So I'm sure you probably recognize her name, her voice, and if you see a picture of her, her face. Um, You may have seen her on Fix This Yard, Trading Spaces, DIY to the Rescue, Homemade Simple, Freeform Furniture. Oh my gosh, Amy, what haven't you hosted? Oh, and now you're hosting a podcast. Oh my gosh, that's right. I can add that to my hosting (laughs) resume. (laughs) I guess... There's a lot to, to know about you um, in terms of like furniture and design and your background and all of that. I, I know you went to school for design, but I, I wanted to go back further. Like what made you get interested in wanting to go to school for, for furniture? And, and was there a moment um, growing up where you were like, I love design. This is so cool. You know, I was really confused about my creative leanings growing up. Mostly they manifested in like decorating my room all crazy and getting haircuts that my mom didn't approve of. (laughs) Um, But I still felt my parents really stressed academics and I knew I was going to college and I just didn't know what I was going to study. So I found fashion buying and merchandising at FIT to be a nice compromise. It got me out of Hypsilanti, where I grew up and into New York City. Wait, where, and is, where is that? And what say that again? Hypsilanti? Ypsilanti. It's spelled with a Y. It's a suburb of Detroit. Oh. And yeah. Midwestern girl here. Uh-huh. Interesting. I don't know why I, I thought you were not from... I would never have expected that. Oh. <laughs> well. Okay. So now, then you, you ended up in New York? Yeah. So I went to New York City right after high school and studied fashion buying and merchandising. And I... That was a compromise, right? It was a business degree, but in something fashion that I thought was creative. I figured out really quickly that I did not want to be in the fashion business, but I was insanely interested in all my friends' homework who were doing things like graphic design, ad design, package design, and toy design. Hmm. And so I would spend more time doing their their homework projects than my own. (laughs) And I started doing little things like I started making lamps and picture frames in a totally kind of devious way. Like I would pilfer materials from, from like my toy designer friends and I would put it together and I'd be like, I need you to drill a hole here, take it into your lab and drill a hole here. (laughs) So um, that was a two year degree and I graduated from FIT and kind of had to figure out what I wanted to do next. And so I took a long road trip with three girlfriends And we ran out of money in Southern California. We moved into a one-bedroom apartment with another friend of ours from high school. And to be honest with you, we had all the bases covered. He was a drug dealer. My other friend worked at a liquor store. My other friend worked at a a pizza joint. And I worked at a record store. Oh, that's the best. That sounds like a... It sounds like... A, a, a fun movie to watch, actually. We had everything we needed except for space. We were broke and we were all jammed into this one bedroom apartment. And I just kept having visions of furniture that did double duty that just didn't exist yet. But I kept inventing furniture in my brain. So cut to um, a community college art course that I was taking while I was working and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was asking around about jewelry design because I thought I might want to study that. Mm -hmm. And the professor said, well, yeah, there's a really good program at San Diego State. And incidentally, they also have one of the best furniture design programs on the West Coast. And a fucking light bulb went off over my head. I was like, what? You can study furniture design in school? Oh, my God. So I made a beeline down to San Diego and started studying with Wendy Mariama and basically never looked back, man. That was awesome. Wow. A lot of people coming to San Diego to study furniture design. It's crazy. Um, 
All right. So after you did the furniture design courses or, or curriculum, where did that land you? I mean, did you end up getting a degree in that or did you transfer to another school or what happened? I got a bachelor's degree in um, what they called at the time a, uh, applied design with an emphasis in furniture design. Mm-hmm. And then I went to work in San Diego. I worked for a couple of years in a, a boutique manufacturing firm that manufactured like environmental designs and POP displays and mm-hmm. stuff. And I was the machine shop lead. So I kind of prototyped all the operations for stuff that we would make in limited productions. So and you were like hands on. Yeah, it was super hands-on. I was like Dickies and white t-shirt, hands-on. Nice. You know, like work boots. And then I transitioned into the purchasing department. So that was really influential too, because I had to work with designers to help procure the materials they wanted for these off-the-wall designs. But if we couldn't get exactly what they wanted, I, I had to come up with solutions or other materials that could behave in the same way or that could maintain the integrity of the design and still be manufactured with our manufacturing processes Mm -hmm. and offers substitutes that would still work. So it was was a real learning curve and it was amazing. And so let's just jump forward a little bit. And you, you ended up somehow making your way into television. Um, Was that like a natural progression or was that just like, I answered this Craigslist ad because I needed a job. Well, (laughs) um, it was it was weird. It was a fluke. So after that manufacturing job, I went to graduate school at Rhode Island School of Design and I got a master's degree in furniture design there and then moved back to the West Coast to Los Angeles. So okay. I'm like new in Los Angeles working as a carpenter for a general contractor, like, you know, doing finished carpentry and stuff in people's homes mm-hmm. and also getting a design studio up and running, doing design build projects. And while that's happening, um, a former client forwarded me a casting notice for a TV show that was looking for a female co-host for a home improvement show. She didn't need any acting experience, but she had to know her stuff. And that was kind of at the height of Trading Spaces popularity. Right. And so I was definitely like, I don't know how to be a TV carpenter. Let me go do this thing. So I went to an audition with some rhinestone safety glasses and... um, and I, I landed the role like I was the, the host of DIY Network's flagship show called DIY to the Rescue for like, I mean, I think they still air repeats, but oh, I mean, we I were shooting that show that for like show. five I remember years. that show. I remember that show. We did over 100 episodes. That was it was gnarly. That's crazy. So that was your first showbiz job. Yeah. Yep. Did you feel like when you... Were you like a natural, like you got in front of the camera and you were like, I got this because you're like pretty good now. Like you're like really good, like, like the opposite of me. I'm like terrified to be in front of the camera, but you nail it. No, it was no, it was bad. (laughs) Episode one was really, really bad. And they were very polite, but they came to me afterwards and they were like, we think we'd like to send you away for some media training. (laughs) Please, please. I need help. And so you've done a bunch of shows since then, like Training Spaces and Freeform Furniture. Are there any particular shows or episodes that stand out? Well, I did this high-end global design show called Designer People on Ovation, where I traveled the world interviewing the world's leading designers. We profiled people like Karim Rashid, Zaha Hadid, Michael Young, Mark Newson. I mean, like all of my idols. It was intense and amazing. Wow. So who is your favorite person to talk to? Oh, that's tough. But I mean, I have to say that Marcel Wanders stands out, the Dutch designer. Yeah. I interviewed him at a studio in Amsterdam and he was so damn charismatic. I thought that he was going to singe my hair off with the electricity <laughs> coming off of him. And, you know, he was so he was incredibly present And he was so thoughtful and generous with his responses that I got the impression if the cameras weren't there, I could ask him anything and he would tell me everything. Oh, I know. So that Um, means we have to obviously get him on the show. I really hope we can because he's a good interview. Um, I also interviewed Danish architect Bjark Ingels, who is super huge. Um, But back then he gave me a tour of his studio and of the eight house project in Copenhagen while it was under construction And my jaw was scraping the ground the whole time because he's so insanely talented and smart 
and young. And yet he seems propelled by forces much wiser and greater than his own ego. Wow. You know, he's incredibly engaged with the world around him. We talked about parkour, graphic novels, movies and TV, languages, transportation, art, just everything. He's just super engaged and really fun and kind of like maybe like he's from another planet. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. Parkour, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that he does it, but at that point, uh, somebody had just filmed a video of people doing parkour off his buildings. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And Sandra Rhodes, the fashion designer, who's like the godmother of the punk fashion movement, mm -hmm. London, 70s, rips, tears, safety pins. She was amazing, too. She had a lot of real solid wisdom to impart. That's awesome. It sounds like a really great opportunity. But that was also a crazy, crazy job because we traveled like... 13 cities on three continents in 30 days. Oh, wow. And I, I tell people it was simultaneously the most glamorous and least glamorous <laughs> job I've ever done. Because I'm like, you know, I'm used to doing home improvement or makeover stuff in like Chuck Taylors and jeans. So this is the first time I'm wearing a dress and high heels. But now we're traipsing all over cobblestone streets in Europe, like in the rain. And I'm lugging lighting and camera equipment and like changing in the back of rental cars. And we're not eating and we're tracking people down and and, you know, sometimes sleeping on trains, <laughs> missing our stops. And <laughs> it, was, it was insane, but it was the most best, most wonderful kind of insane yeah, ever. That sounds exciting. You were recently doing a show or you finished one up in the past year or two, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, I did four seasons of a show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. I also did four seasons where I hosted a landscape makeover show called Fix This Yard on A&E. Oh, I remember Fix This Yard. I've seen that show. Yeah. I'm all up in your TV set, Jane. I know. I, I can't even believe it. It's so weird. But you know what's really funny is like when I first met you, you and I met for the first time, I think, at the council design booth in, at ICFF like five, five years ago. That sounds about right. So anyway, we meet at this booth. We get introduced by a, a colleague that um, uh, that we both know. And I swear I like knew like I knew you were like a person who was in my television, but like I couldn't place you. And I was like, shit, who is this person? I know her like I recognize her. I recognize her name, but like I couldn't place you. And then when I did, I was like, no way. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of meeting at the Council Design booth, you are actually dating Derek Chen of Council Design, but he lives in San Francisco and you live in L.A. Um, mm -hmm. Give me all of the details about your hot, long distance relationship. Swoon. He's such a <laughs> dreamboat. No, he's a really, really amazing guy. We've been dating for like three years. The long distance thing is... Actually, it it's kind of working. I love that I have two home cities now that I can kind of feel like like San Francisco is my hometown and L.A. is my hometown. I do not always love that we're apart most of the time, but it's just the nature of when you're dating someone, you know, when you're dating somebody like at a college and you're both can merge your lives and build like one unified life together. But if you start dating like later in life, you both have these semi-constructed lives already and you can't just dismantle them both to merge. Yeah. So we've been making the best of this LA to San Francisco kind of um, uh, LDR. What do they call that? Long distance relationship? <laughs> LDR. Okay, so um, I would love to know why you want to do this podcast. Well, Jamie, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> no, you and I have had philosophical discussions about this a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but I have this burning passion inside me. <laughs> and I am convinced that by celebrating design and designers... And the backstories of products and the people who are responsible for shaping the built world, that we can help create a more meaningful connection for people to the built world. And they will understand the value of objects 
And sometimes those objects are disposable and that's an important piece of that design. And sometimes they're timeless and heirlooms. And by just creating like a, a really dimensional discourse around design, I think that we are ultimately helping people inhabit the built world in a more meaningful way. And that makes me tear up. <laughs> it makes me choke up with sentiment because I just believe in it so strongly. That is an amazing and awesome and lovely answer. And I am going to just change my original answer to this question to just say, wait for Amy's answer and ditto. Because <laughs> that was really well put. So why I, I'm not going to say like, I'm not going to ask you why you want to do this with me. But like, what do you think we can accomplish together with this podcast? Um well, I mean, I'd love to talk about why I want to do it with you, but I think to answer your question, I think we can accomplish a lot by, you know, our goal is to have revealing conversations with designers. Right. And by revealing, I, I mean, I really hope they reveal their humanity to us and to our listeners. And then I think we'll really be sharing a valuable resource with the world. I really do. I really think <laughs> that's what we'll be doing. And I want to do it with you. You bring t a lot of stuff to the table that I don't bring. And I think having opposing voices interview these people is going to bring more interest. And it's also going to bring um, basically two can openers to one can. Mm -hmm. And that's our job is to crack these people open so that our listeners can really get to know them. Yeah. And I think you're a good can opener. <laughs> Oh, that's the sweetest thing. All right. So uh, let's go into a, a, a rapid fire round. Are you ready? Okay. One, two, three. Your favorite artist. Edward and Nancy Redden Keenholz. Okay. I don't know who they are. So now I have to look them up. Drink of choice. Red wine or mezcal. Okay. How do you take your coffee? Black. Um, hidden or weird talent. <laughs> I can put my whole fist in my mouth. Wait, what? Wait. Yeah, it's weird. Okay, uh, what's your current Netflix or TV obsession? I am super excited by this whole, like, true crime being elevated to high art thing. But the jinx and making a murderer and serial, for that matter, even though it's a podcast, all have had, like, a real life, real time influence on justice. And besides that, I'm also into Inside Amy Schumer. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, me too. Nickname from childhood. Ugh. Schneider. What? Did you ever, do you know that old sitcom One Day at a Time where the maintenance man was named Schneider? I remember One Day at a Time. I don't remember any of the characters' names, though. The dude, the superintendent maintenance man was named Schneider. And How did you get I, this nickname? Because I went around fixing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I had keys. I had I, I had keys clipped to Lots my Lots of keys. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was just trying to fix everything. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, what did you want to be when you grew up? An astronaut. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Um, what is a book that changed your life? Did you ever read a book called Please Kill Me, The Oral History of Punk Rock? No, but I think you may have mentioned that book when we were talking. Yeah, totally changed my life. Um, Legs McNeil and Gillian McCain, and it's a retelling of the whole punk rock movement from the people who are actually involved. Honestly, it really... I, I knew I was interested in the punk rock movement, and I was interested in the music, and I just loved hearing about it from the people who were there. It's a very historical document, right? Mm. And it really chronicles what I think is the first super hypercharged DIY movement. Oh. And it was very iconoclastic and very much like we don't need the establishment and we don't need to follow rules. We can do this on our own. And I think that really influenced the way I operate like there's always another option and it doesn't necessarily have to be by the rules 
What was your favorite toy as a kid? Legos. Me too. Yeah. Okay. Um, who is the designer you most want to talk to on our show? I really think the sky is the limit and the options are wide open and you don't even know who's going to be the live wire. Mm. And I can't wait for that. Like, I'm really excited. Me too. Now I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. It didn't take Jamie and I long to figure out that we wanted to work together. And then it didn't take us that much longer to figure out a podcast was kind of the first point of entry. Yeah. So that's what we're doing now. What did take a little while is we had to come up with a name. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a lot of ideas. Oh, my gosh. My favorite was the one your husband came up with first. <laughs> Would you like to do the honors? Well, <laughs> so Jamie's husband, Jordan, said, why don't you call it Two Vagines on Design? I don't know how much people would appreciate that um, in, in the design world. <laughs> well, that's true. I also feel like the, the spelling of vagine might have confused some people. And that Vaginase? What is that? Vaginase? <laughs> I don't understand. Vagine? <laughs> what is vagine? <laughs> but then we also worried that you might think of us with these big giant brains in our heads as just super delicious vaginas. And we didn't want to be really reduced to that. <laughs> I can't we believe really you didn't. just said delicious vaginas. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I know mine's delicious. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. I do think, though, we had a very similar other name. It was like, what was it? Double D's on design because Devers and Derringer, mm -hmm. the double D's. That was a good yeah, one. Yeah, we, we really had to steer ourselves away from the innuendo I think if we wanted to be taken seriously. We do want to be taken seriously, but we also want to make sure that, like, you know, we're entertaining and fun. And I, I think maybe using vagines or double Ds would have been too much in that direction. <laughs> totally too much. And I'm so, and I'm sorry this has started out so sexual. Yeah, this is probably not a good example of how it be every single time, but we're no, starting out on a high not. note and we're setting the bar pretty high now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some other ideas we came up with were, um, oh, one of my favorites was um, after we had been through so many like possibilities well, we couldn't do vitamin D because it's already been used. Mm -hmm. Design nerds kind of worked. It was a clever pun. And we are nerds. So that made sense. Then we had some stupid stuff like behind the fancy eyeglasses, <laughs> which is kind of true, but not all of them wear fancy eyeglasses. And then we had some that sounded really funny, too. Like uh, one was Helvetica, H-E-L-L. -L. Um, but we thought that sounded, I mean, some people won't get the the pun because Helvetica is a, is a font, but also it, it doesn't really, we're not just talking about graphic design. So we didn't want to just be pigeonholing ourselves into that. Oh, another favorite. I think this was our favorite until we decided on clever was a uh, designer podcast. It's I love how hilarious it's hilarious, but people didn't get the no. joke, but I love how generic it is and yet how true. Yeah, it is a designer podcast. If you don't have a sense of humor that's really dry, you would just think it was like the most boring and lamest podcast name ever. But we thought it was funny because, you know, like designer handbag. It's a designer <laughs> podcast, but yeah. it probably wouldn't have worked ultimately. Yeah, that joke didn't fly, unfortunately. But we always really liked the word clever. And I personally like it because... I think it represents a certain characteristic that everyone has, but that manifests in different ways. And one of the things that one of the properties a designer must be able to harness is their own cleverness, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that everything they produce is clever, but they have to get into sort of a, a clever mindset. And that mindset is, what I use to describe a, a state of mind in which you're able to like put together disparate ideas or you're able to see past the obvious into a what if dimension. It's a muscle 
that designers really have to work out mm-hmm. their clever muscle. Wouldn't you say that, Jamie? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the R&D of any product or if you look at the way a logo comes together, I mean, they spend so much time on it and there's so many iterations and it's just there. there's so much that goes into creating a design, any kind of design. And so I, I think they're flexing a lot of clever skills, not only from a logistical standpoint or problem solving, but also like clever in how it looks, clever in how it works and clever solutions to problems. So we want to celebrate all that clever. Mm-hmm. We want to talk to them. We want to talk about who they are, what they're about, what they've been through, what they hope to accomplish. Also what they had for dinner, you know, <laughs> we just want to maybe hopefully let some of that clever rub off on us. Thank you for listening. If you feel like it, please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and definitely sign up for our email newsletter at cleverpodcast.com so you can get updates and information and show notes and all that stuff. You can find us on the social medias at Clever Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And a special shout out to our editor, Chris Modal of Your Studios. He did a great job with this episode. Special thanks to Squarespace for our website, to Jenny Rask for our branding, and to L1011 for the music you heard during this episode. You can find more of their music at L1011.com, and that's spelled out like E-L-T-E-N, etc. Thanks. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.